0: In today's episode, we're opening our Bibles to a new book, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel tells how David becomes the king of Israel, and he faces a lot of success, but some failures too. It shows Yahweh's faithfulness to his promise, and of course David's need for mercy. Today in chapter 1, the Holy Spirit makes us witnesses to David's reaction as he hears about the death of not only Saul, but also his close friend Jonathan. David mourns for both, but then he ends up exercising judgment against an Amalekite who has an interesting story to tell, that he was the one who dealt the final death blow against King Saul. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, June 13th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by a generous contribution from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF produces a variety of Lutheran resources in foreign languages, and so I invite you to learn more about their translating and publishing work by going online to their website at lhfmissions.org. You can learn how they can help your ministry and how you can support their great work for the kingdom. Well, this morning, to help us crack open Second Samuel for the very first time and dive into chapter one, please join me in welcoming my guest. It's the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO Radio. Good morning, Pastor Lukomsky, and welcome back to Thy Strong
1: Word. Well, good morning, Pastor Boo, and, and I have joined you in Minnesota now. <laughs> so. Oh,
0: you are you in Minnesota more permanently, or where are you at?
1: Well, we are up here for the summer. Uh, as as oh, okay. you know very well, this is not a place you want to be during the winter unless you work here. <laughs> so, well, you know right my now, family did...
0: likes the cold. So, my family likes well, the cold, so we uh, we manage okay.
1: I guess after a while you just get used to it. I know I did want to used to live up here, but <laughs> you know once you get used to it being a little warmer, yeah, it it's well whatever. We're here for now cuz it's beautiful in Minnesota in June. That's for sure. So,
0: where are you at again in Minnesota? Up, Northfield. Um, up We're in north Northfield.
1: I think what about three hours from you? I would suspect somewhat like that.
0: Uh, maybe sometime this summer, we'll have to. I'll have to find my way towards you. We'll go out for lunch or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you head up towards the Twin Cities for some reason, let us know, and we'll meet you up there.
0: That sounds great. Well, I'll tell you what, today I'm glad to have you on the radio as we open up a brand new book, but it's it's not really a brand new book. It's pretty much the same book that we've been going through, but it takes a dramatic turn in the narrative. We've just finished 1 Samuel, uh, cracking open 2 Samuel, which I think originally were considered one book in the Hebrew Old Testament, and then were divided in the Septuagint, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that.
1: Yeah, that's the story, as I remember, too, Pastor Boo. Yeah, it was one, and and then I have no idea, maybe just for convenience, because it's a long book, as it is, with just one or two. But uh, that originally right. was, so, so I, I think that's an important thing to note, that, that originally, if we were reading this, we wouldn't be making the fact it's a new book. We'd just be continuing the story of Saul, and now the focus, of course, changed to David.
0: Right, and now David is going to be moving up in the world, Uh, king of Hebron, then king of Israel. We're going to see the the kingdom united under him. Lots of great uh, stories and events to come, so this is definitely a book you don't want to miss. But today, as we crack it open, it's just really about David responding and reacting to the death of Saul. Uh, but before we get into the text itself, I'd like to start off with prayer, but actually, I'd like for you to start us off with prayer, if you wouldn't mind, brother.
1: Well, Lord, we we, we thank you that you have written a, a first and a second Samuel, uh, however that was originally, but we, we appreciate the words that were inspired for us to read. Uh, honestly, Lord, at first glance, we're thinking, well, this is an interesting tale, but what does it have to do with me? So what we're asking for this morning, then, is by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will help us to see that this story is actually all about us and all about what you have done so that we might be redeemed and that we might be delivered from death in your son, Jesus Christ. So we pray that from our study, our faith will grow in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, normally I ask you to recap what happened last, but you know, to do that, you'd have to just read all of 1 Samuel, so I'm not going to ask (laughs) you to do that, but I still might have you set the stage for us about, you know, what is going on in the kingdom. We know Saul's dead, that's kind of the point, but maybe there's some nuances that we should understand before we read anything from our text today.
1: Well, well. So, it, it, actually, the, the end of, of uh, uh, First Samuel is, is it's like a modern uh, portrayal of story because because it, it's it's two things happening in sequence, and and it's important to know that because uh, David, on the one hand, is fighting the Amalekites. Uh, they have come and they they destroyed his city. They kidnapped uh, his wife, uh, his wives, and, and so now he's gone and rescued them. And yet, at the same time, that story is going on in another part of the country. Uh, Saul and Jonathan and his sons are fighting the Philistines in a battle that we will see uh, they, they have lost. In fact, Saul tragically takes his own life as he is surrounded by the enemy and he knows that a defeat is his. So it's kind of really cool how the how the author puts those two things coming, and now those two stories come together. In fact, that's how it begins. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, so right away in the first verse, he reminds us of what the circumstances are for this particular account.
0: Absolutely, and let's dig into it uh, beginning at, well, at the beginning with verse 1. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. And David said to him, Where do you come from? And he said, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did it go? Tell me. And he answered, The people fled from the battle And also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? And the young man who told him said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called to me. And I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, "Uh, stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me and my life still lingers. So I stood behind him and I killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. Okay, stop. So we are now at the end of verse <clears throat> uh, 9. Oh, no, 10. Pardon me, 10. So what's really fascinating about this is just the way that David seems to find out is from this sort of random Amalekite who's found his way to David, and he has his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Is that significant because he's been traveling, or is that signs of mourning? I, or, I don't know, because this guy's a little suspect to me.
1: You know what, though, Pastor Boo, I had not, I had not, yeah, the suspect thing we'll have to talk about in a second, but, but I had not drawn the connection between his kind of weaseliness, but, but I think, I think you're right. I, I think he's trying to show that, oh, I'm so terribly sad about what happened. Because these are the normal signs of of grief uh, in in the Near East that you tear your clothes. Uh, We we all know that. What we forget sometimes is the whole bit of throwing the dirt, dirt and ashes on your head. And and you know what? I I think you're right. I I think he's coming. Oh, you just can't believe how sad I am. I'm so tragic, Mm -hmm. the things I witnessed. Yeah, I, I, I think that's absolutely what's going on here.
0: Well, because, you know, yeah, he says then, you know, I've, I've come from the camp of Israel. David recognizes him as an outsider, evidently yeah. um, that and he doesn't know him, but he must somehow not recognize him as part of the camp of Israel. I don't know if maybe that's reading too much into it. But David does ask, well, how did it go? You know, you've come with a message. So tell me the message um, as if he probably didn't kind of figure that things had not gone well.
1: No, no. Uh, and I think that as far as now taking this and applying it to us, uh, I think the one thing that you get right away in these first verses is, is we're all going to die. That that's what's going to happen. After the death of Saul, uh, Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. The man says in just a moment, the man himself is going to be executed. Uh, um, and, and of course, we we know why people die because the wages of sin is death. And, and that's the other thing. If if we'd been summarizing what happened in First Samuel. Uh, uh, Saul has just done one wrong thing after the other, hasn't he, uh, Pastor Boo? Uh, in fact, that's the irony here. We have this Amalekite coming and making the report, but there shouldn't be any Amalekites to report because one of the commandments God gave Saul was that he should, should uh, uh, what is that, devote them to destruction. That That's the phrase. He was supposed to right. kill them all, but, but he didn't. In fact, some of these Amalekites are fighting with him, uh, uh, apparently, uh, and and then of course this Amalekite is going to be executed because he's done something horrible that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, but but see the thing is is Jonathan has died too. And as far as we know, Jonathan didn't do any really big horrible sin. In fact, he was a faithful, loyal friend to David, defended him in all things, and and in fact was died an honorable death fighting for the people of Israel, which is what God had given him to do. But but yeah, there it is. It, we, we're all going to die. And now the question is: Is what becomes of that, and what are we to do in the consequences of that? And that, of course, is what the, the story is going to talk about as we move further in this chapter.
0: So you know, we talked about this yesterday as we concluded First Samuel, and we certainly talked about it when we were in the chapter twenty-eight. But I hate to take us—I hate to take us back to the Witch of Endor. <laughs> but uh, oh, you know, yeah. I've asked the so the 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 Samuel. Um, Appearance, he says that, you know, today or tomorrow or something like that, you and your sons will be where I am, which is assumed to be the place of the dead. Um, just as sort of a poll, do you believe that it was Samuel being um, allowed to communicate a la, you know, the transfiguration? Or do you think it was a dem- demon who just happened to get some things right? um Allah Luther. What what's your opinion on the on the appearance <laughs> of Samuel?
1: Well well, well you know, the the, the the thing is is there's powerful arguments both ways because on the one hand uh, to go outside of the the, the means of revelation, which, which of course again is another terrible sin that Saul commits, because Saul had the right and the privilege to actually go talk to God. He could have asked God, but instead he chooses to go to this this witch of Endor, which, of course, that's demonic, that's evil, that's wicked. You can't see that being as good in any way. And yet, on the other hand, the disturbing thing is that whoever he's speaking with knows the future, which is something that the devil doesn't know. So, I don't know. It's hard to say one way or the other. So, I'm going to be a good politician and say,
0: Could be. Could be. Well, that's a good Lutheran too, right? We don't know. (laughs) Or somehow both. I'm not sure how that would work. But in any case, though, we do see here that not all the sons of uh, Saul have fallen on the battlefield. You know, we have uh, Ishbosheth coming up. But in the moment here, though, it seems like David's main concern is for Saul, the Lord's anointed, and, of course, his friend, Jonathan.
1: And we're going to see that then as we move on and move into the lament that he has. Again, he has lament. And again, see, that's right there. That's something for us that's remarkable. We could see where he would lament Jonathan. Jonathan is his dear dear friend. But why lament Saul, the guy that tried to kill you? In fact, who made it his life's purpose to see that you die. Uh, and yet, I think... Jesus says, love your enemies, that might be a point here. Mm-hmm. Certainly, as you, you already hinted at, it's because Saul is the Lord's anointed. I, well, I'm jumping ahead. We're getting into the lament. Uh, um, so, yeah, w- where else do you we want to w- go yeah. with this particular? Yeah.
0: Well, we will, but I, I want to I, I say something else that stood out to me, yeah. and that is that I'm not sure I believe the Amalekite. I, I'm not sure that he really did dispatch Saul. The first clue to me, I, I do believe he was there with Saul because he brought with him the crown and yes. and the armlet. Uh, the The problem, though, is that what he says happened, it can be reconciled with the last chapter of. 30 uh, 31 right of last chapter of first samuel so i'm not saying it can't be reconciled but it takes a couple backflips to do so he says by chance i happen to be on mount gilboa and there was saul leaning on his spear uh people are coming up to get him and he he called me and said will you basically kill me um but that's not how the death of saul was described (laughs) in the last chapter
1: well, and see, I was going to ask you that. So you're 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 voting that the guy is a weasel, and he's just making yes. this story up. Is that is that where your allegiance is? I, I,
0: unless I'm shown from scripture otherwise, yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Which you know what I got to tell you, I've been fooled before. I've made these declarations, <laughs> and then like three <laughs> chapters in, it'll be like, oh yeah, and all that was true. And you're like, dang, <laughs> I I forgot that. But but we have we have him being badly wounded by the archers in in, in uh, chapter thirty one. We have then Saul telling his armor bearer, take your sword and thrust me through, and then he doesn't, and then Saul falls upon his own sword, and then verse 5 of 31 says, And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell upon his own sword and died with him, thus Saul died. Now we have this Amalekite saying Saul wasn't dead. Uh, He doesn't mention anything about the armor bearer and he showed up and Saul's leaning on a spear, not a sword, begging for him to kill him. And I just, you know, David wouldn't know any different, but we do. So I don't know. seems suspicious.
1: And, and And I agree with you completely. So you make me feel better as well, because I'm thinking, well, maybe maybe I'm reading things into here. But, yeah, it definitely says that Saul was dead. And I love this guy when he says, you know, I just happened to be on Mount yeah. <laughs> and, and Yeah, I wasn't looting thinking...
0: dead bodies at all. I wasn't looting <laughs> soldiers of Israel.
1: No, no, I was actually answering the call of the king right. of Israel who was in such pain. And, and I knew he was going to die. And of course, I just and of course, I'm thinking, yeah, you probably saw this was going on. You probably heard him cry out to his swordsman, to his armor bearer to kill him. And you thought, well, I'll just incorporate that because it's always the best to incorporate as much truth as you can into your lie. But of course, that's the question. How do all of a sudden you end up with the the armlet and the crown? Uh, well, I just happened to be there, you know, and, and oh, I thought I should give it to you because King David, I know you're going to be the new king. And I just and I show homage to you. You're right. The whole thing smacks of just being some kind of slimy weasel who's trying to get some advantage uh, from, from King David. So I I agree with you completely uh uh and and of course then it explains why what's going to happen to him in the next moment.
0: <laughs> now I, I I hate to interrupt our the flow of our conversation but I keep hearing in the background a dinging from a bell. Do you have someone dinging a bell every time you make a good point back there or what's going
1: on? <laughs> well yes, yeah, we have that installed on the computer now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, but but you're right, this Amalekite, he thought he was really going to get something from David. He thought, you know, hey, I've, I'm going to tell him that I killed his enemy, the king who was trying to kill him. And, of course, he refers to him as my lord. My lord, here are the symbols of kingship, the crown and the armlet or the armband. And, you know, he lays them, um, you know, at the feet of David. And verse 11, I don't think he expected. Verse 11. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with them. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of Yahweh and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, "Uh, Where did you come from? And he answered, I'm the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. David said to him, How is it you were not afraid? to put out your hand to destroy Yahweh's anointed. Now, I'm going to pause the action right there yeah. at the end of 14. But, but David took hold of his clothes and tore them. For clarity, that's his own clothes, not the clothes yes. of the poor Amalekite. <laughs> but he rends his garments in mourning, and they all mourn. Probably some of them just following the cue of David. But the point is, this is very much a in a way, a civil war. This isn't like the Philistines dying. These are their own brothers dying and really their own king who, despite his unfaithfulness, was their king.
1: And 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 it, see, I, I think part of the grief that we're going to see here as we, we proceed it is not simply that Saul and Jonathan died uh, because I think David probably understood that, that sooner or later that's what's going to happen because David's going right. to be the king. Uh, And and we'll talk about that in a moment, too, that this is actually the the plan of God. And and yet David understood this isn't what God wanted. This isn't what it was supposed to be. Uh, God appointed Saul to be a good king, a good leader, a faithful leader, a righteous leader. And and yet things have gone horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, So I think there's a mourning here, uh, not just for the death of an individual, but also for the realization that Israel has not been what Israel should be. That, that the death right. of Saul and, and especially of Jonathan is just a symbol that they have departed uh, from the ways that the Lord has given them. And that's a really, really sad reason. And I think maybe that's the reason why we always grieve too when there's death. Uh, we, we grieve, of course, because we're losing people that are important to us. But but it's a reminder. It's a reminder to all of us that nothing's going the way it should be, not according to our actions, not according to what we do. Of course, the really beautiful thing in this story is we're going to see that things are actually going along just exactly the way God had planned and promised. Uh, uh, but it's... Death is never a good thing. I, I, I hope right. people understand that as Christians, we don't say, "Oh, death." No, no, death is it's a it's a reminder that that the world is full of sin. That's that's what it's a reminder of. Now, God is going to undo that. Thank heavens for that. But but we should never think of death as we we shouldn't have the attitude that that the uh, that the seculars have that it's just a cycle of life. Right? Someone dies, right. someone's born. It's just no, no. It's not the way God intended it to be.
0: Yeah, we we seem to soften up death, too, when death is the wages of sin, and if we need any evidence that death is not good, we look to, well, David's example, but but more importantly, Jesus' example, right? He yeah. weeps at death, not because he doesn't know where they're going, so to speak, and not because, say, in Lazarus' case, he doesn't know that he's getting ready to raise him back up from the dead, but because he... he has that compassion on his people. That's not the way it was meant to be. And and I think that's the, as you're saying, it sounds like, and I agree, that's David's emotion here. You know, he David wants to be able to follow the command of the king of Israel. He wants to honor him as king, not just because of the...
1: So we have we're having some technical issues here. We've lost our host, Pastor Boo, uh, but we were talking about the fact that uh, death is not a good thing that death is an indication of sin and the wages of sin. Um, I wish Pastor Boo was here, uh, but I was just reading something from C.S. Lewis. uh, And again, this isn't my opinion, but it's what he said, and it sounds true to me, that there was a period of time at the beginning of Judaism where they did not even know about what would happen after death. Uh, That that in fact, that was one of the big disputes uh, between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Is there a resurrection of the dead? Uh, And it's interesting if you read through the early chapters of the Bible, that particular issue isn't defined clearly. But you see, that wasn't the issue. It wasn't about what's going to happen after we right. die. It's about uh, living now and, and being honorable and trusting God and, and following God and His commandments. Uh, so if all you're living is because you're going to get some blessing in the future, well, that's nothing particularly moral or righteous in that. <laughs> we should be willing to do what God commands us to do, even if it means we're going to be in hell at the end of all things. I gather you're back, Pastor Boo.
0: <laughs> I am back, and thanks for covering. I don't don't know where i dropped off but you know I, I was saying such clever things too while i was off the air so you guys missed it can't capture lightning again in a bottle so um i don't you, know you that know, i'm gonna be know, able to recover <laughs> but, but that, it was so true. insightful that,
1: that that's true of our saturday show rest of <laughs> the basics most of the really good stuff you never get to hear
0: <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. but you know i i guess i don't even know where i got cut off but you know what it doesn't even matter the, the point is here that uh you know death certainly is is never a good thing. We see David—I guess one thing that's always stood out to me about David is his great respect for the Lord's anointed. So when this young man thinks he's going to get a reward, but he has to follow the same laws as everybody else, and he he strikes down Yahweh's anointed, um, you know, it just—I guess what it does for me And the way I've been applying this to my life, too, in this particular aspect of the narrative, is that we have people—I guess it gives more color to Jesus' and Paul's teaching for us to respect those in authority over us. Mm. And I think that's part of such the great division in our country is that, you know, you have the idea of respect the office even if you don't respect the man or woman who's in it, I guess— but I think people don't even respect the fact that authority comes from God in the first place. And this David demonstrates for us this great understanding of the proper place of, of authority. And, and yes, he's going to be the next king, but he doesn't, <laughs> like Jesus, right? This isn't something he tries to acquire for himself um, and, and force, force, force the hand of people. So I don't know, it's it's fascinating. And now David says, Your blood be on your head, for your own mouth has testified against you. You've killed the Lord's anointed, you've admitted it. And I just I imagine that this man was thoroughly surprised.
1: Well, and, and you know, it's, it tickles me because the guy says, oh, I'm a sojourner, the son of Amalekite. And I'm thinking that probably isn't the best thing to tell David either, considering that the Amalekites <laughs> had just taken off and kidnapped his wives and destroyed his city. <laughs> so that's probably not a positive. So yeah, this guy, but 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 see, that's the truth too. Isn't that, that a lesson here? That you, you never get away with lying. You may think you're getting away with lying, but sooner or later it always comes out. There's always consequences when, when we we don't follow the way of the truth. And, and the great irony here is, of course, he's lying, thinking that it's going to bring him a great blessing. And yet his lies are actually what bring about his execution and his death. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of irony in this. But One thing before we go any further, we got to talk about this crown business. That because the word in the, the Hebrew there actually uh, isn't the word for crown. It's the word for consecrated. Uh, this was the insignia, one of my commentators said. Of, of the consecration. This is what belongs to the one whom God has appointed to be his anointed one, his king. And of course, we know ultimately that the savior of the world. So it's really important that David have that crown and that armlet as the symbols of the consecration. And isn't it kind of interesting how he ends up getting those, uh, not by his own work, not by his own action, because like you said, uh, David can't do anything about this. He does not have the authority. He does not have the power to seize these things on his own. The only way he can receive them is if they're given to him by God. And I think really interesting that he gets these insignias of consecration for man who claimed at least that he was doing a service uh, to King Saul. Um, So it's kind of funny how God accomplishes his goals in ways that we just – how, how is God going to do that? How is God going to make David king when we already have another dynasty? We already have another man who has the the insignias of consecration. And yet the Lord gets it done, and, and he does it in a way that is righteous and holy, right? Uh, David does not do what, what he himself understands would be a terrible, horrible sin, as indicated here, to, to destroy the Lord's anointing. So one thing you just can't do.
0: Well, we're gonna consider those things and more as we take our break. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Lukomsky and I will keep on going through Second Samuel Chapter one. See on the other side. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Uh, With me this morning is the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO. Now, do you want to be able to take Thy Strong Word on the road? Well, if so, you can subscribe to the program as a podcast wherever you like to get your podcasts. But if you're not sure where to start or that kind of stuff is confusing to you, I tell you what. I recommend you just download KFUO's mobile app. Head into the Play Store or the App Store if you're on Apple and just search for KFUO Radio. You can download that, and then you can use it to listen to Thy Strong Word or other great programs like Sharper Iron, or Concord Matters, or The Coffee Hour, Cross Defense, or even Wrestling with the Basics with Pastor John Lukomski. So you can do that, um, or you can use the app to listen live or on uh, demand in other ways, like through KFUO.org. They make it so easy for you to keep in touch with the Lord's Word through all these great programs, so I recommend you do that. So, uh, oh yeah, let me go ahead and mention that if you want to reach out to me, my email address is PastorBoo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Well, enough of that then. Pastor Lekomsky, we're back, and we were just getting to the end here um, where uh, we were talking about— uh, well, you go ahead and catch us up because you had the last thought before well, we went to break.
1: Well, yeah, because there was two things that that I, I wanted to say before we get into the, the lament over of Saul and Jonathan. Uh, the one is that you mentioned— Uh, This certainly teaches us that we need to honor, respect and obey those God has placed in authority over us, Uh, even if in the case of Saul, who is a wicked, evil man. uh, And there's no no doubt about that. And yet David still respects that authority uh, that he had. Uh, and yet on the other hand, David does not hesitate to to kill the Amalekite because David has the authority to do that. David is a leader, uh, but he's not at this point the chosen leader of Israel. He's not the king of Israel, but he does have the right to kill the Amalekite, which the Amalekite did not have the right, see, to kill Saul. Because uh, I think that's one thing we remember. It, it's not just that something's right. We we have to ask ourselves, do we have the authority uh, to do these things, is that responsibility being given to us? Just because it's the right thing doesn't necessarily mean it's the thing that we need to do. Have we been given responsibility for that? And I think you got a a really great example of that. And then and then one other thought that was weighing on my mind as we we took the break. You know, we've been really making fun of this Amalekite. And I really do think he is a, a weasel. I think it's just all kinds of lies. He's just trying to benefit himself. And and, and he's just a man of opportunity. Um, but, you know, it always bothered me when we start criticizing other people, uh, like, like the Pharisee, right? Well, thank God I'm not like that man. Uh, but then I was thinking that the Big thing that that he did wrong was he he killed the Lord's anointed. It says there, and, and you know what, Pastor Boo? I guess we we killed the Lord's anointed too, didn't we? <laughs> right? Because the Lord's anointed ultimately, of course, is Jesus Christ. And and why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, because you and I and all of our listeners sinned. So lest we become too too critical of the Amalekite, maybe we need to remember that Jesus died. Because we, we sinned, we we killed him by our sins. But isn't that the remarkable thing? That again, that's all part of the plan of God so that you and I might be forgiven and you and I might not suffer the eternal consequences, certainly the temporary consequences of sin. The wages of sin is death, but we won't serve the eternal consequences of those Uh, thanks to Jesus Christ. By the way, if if there's anything good in that particular insight, that actually came from my wife, as she was Mm -hmm. reflecting on the meaning of this chapter for us. You
0: have to ring the bell then for her, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but, you know, what you say is really important, I believe, because, I mean, if this were a parable, it's not, it's history, but if this were a parable, we'd want to place ourselves somewhere in the situation, and we're probably not going to be David. We're going to be the Amalekite. But you you talk about the Pharisees and others. I think the Pharisees should see themselves as the Amalekite too, because we see here him not only killing the Lord's anointed, but killing the Lord's anointed, thinking that he will receive blessings or that he's doing it for good reasons. Um, Whether he did or not actually kill him, he's still saying, look, I've done this for you. He's, he's getting the rewards, the treasures, and he's thinking that he's going to be rewarded. And those people who crucified our Lord, and again, we're all guilty of that, but but those people in, in history that killed the, Lord, the Lord's anointed thought they were doing it and would receive blessings from God because of it. It shows you how easy it is to be tempted by the devil into thinking that doing the wrong thing is doing the right thing. We're all guilty of that. It,
1: And and see, there's the fundamental lesson, isn't it? That that, no, we we can't do anything to gain God's grace and blessing and forgiveness. And, And to be doing that is probably the most horrible sin you could commit to think that you have to do something for what God just wants to freely give you. That's almost insulting, isn't it? To say, well, Lord, I don't want that as a free gift. No, no, I'll work for that. I'll earn that. I think if I was God, I would be greatly insulted uh, for someone to say that they had to earn what I just wanted to give them out of my love and my compassion. Uh, I know I would certainly feel that way as a father if my children thought they had to earn the blessings that I gave them. Of course, they could never earn the fact that I've taken care of them for all these years and fed them and clothed them and housed them. And Well, anyway, I'm getting off track, but uh, I, th- I think you got a good point there.
0: Well, as we go into the next next section, it's one of those very difficult ones to talk about on the radio because it's poetic and it's divided up, strangely. Um, I I think I'm just going to read the whole thing, and then we'll just do our best. Is that all right, brother?
1: That sounds like a great idea.
0: All right, here we go, starting with verse 17 through the end of the chapter. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son, and he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar, he said Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided, they were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle! Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. Thus endeth our text. So uh, that's, um, yeah, that's something else. I mean, you know, the, the 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 comments that he makes about Israel and Jonathan, they all make sense. But once again, I think we're surprised by how he describes his arch nemesis, Saul. Uh, of course, looking back, really, Saul had the problem with Jonathan. I mean, sorry, pardon me. Saul had the problem with David. David wasn't after Saul.
1: No, no. Um, Just just a couple of little details here before we get into the actual lament. Uh, It is interesting that uh, uh, Samuel references the book of uh, Jashar, and I, I think that's interesting for two reasons. First of all, uh, I think it establishes the historicity. You said that a moment ago. And we really want to emphasize that as we as we go seeking for lessons in a Bible story. Uh, we don't want to make people think that this is uh, Aesop's fables or some kind of mythology. No, it's it's uh, real. And I think that's a good indication of it. If you're making stuff up, you don't need to reference another work that doesn't even exist as far as we know. <laughs> okay. But but you might reference that if it's an actual book and it really did exist and it was your day and time it was around there, uh, which I think also testifies to the miracle that we even have the Old Testament. You know, we're just so used to having that. We, 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 Forget that most other books written from that time period are long gone. Uh, There's probably all kinds of books we don't even know ever existed. Uh, The only reason we know some of them existed, again, is because there's some reference and some later work to them. Uh, But the fact that we have the entirety of the Old Testament and we have it in, in, in so reliable, a textual form, that's just a miracle. Okay, that doesn't happen normally uh, concerning great works. Most of the stuff we have of the Greeks and the Romans and what have you, that we we don't actually have them. <laughs> we have quotes from other later people who had them, but we don't have those references again. So I just want to point that out, That that book of Joshua that that emphasizes the. Uh, his, historicity of what we're reading and also emphasizes the miracle that we could have such mm-hmm. accounts still with us from Samuel uh and and the other I, thing and a preliminary thing well hold on
0: before we just, move on to the other yeah, go thing i want to yeah i want to yeah, i want to interject here with the book of Jashar, because a lot of people might ask well you know if this book of Jashar Jish, existed and obviously it contains the maybe the word of god or at least the word that god's people trusted um, then, you know, why don't we have it? And you already illustrated there There may be things that we don't have. I'm not saying the book of Jashar was scripture. I'm just saying there, there's plenty of things that we don't have. The Lord has preserved for us in an amazing way the testimony that we do have. But there are other Israelite works that aren't necessarily scripture, but are mentioned. In the scriptures, I have a little list of them here. Uh, the book of Yahweh's wars mentioned in Numbers, events of Samuel the seer, events of Nathan the prophet, events of Gad the seer, that's all mentioned in First Chronicles. The historical record of Israel's kings is a book mentioned in First Kings, um, of Judah's kings also mentioned there. Uh, we know that Solomon composed more than a thousand songs, yet we only have two in the Psalms, 72 and 127. So we have mentioned in the Bible plenty of non biblical works. We have plenty of things in the Bible that might be a portion of a greater record doesn't mean that the the message will change and even in uh even in the New Testament paul's including quotes from you know Greek poets and you know the speech from aratus and so there's there's epimenides there there's plenty of things that aren't biblical that the Holy Spirit inspired to be written in the Bible so And I think that your point, though, absolutely remains and is the most important point. You know, he's whoever the author of Second Samuel is, is basically saying, you know what I'm talking about because it's written over here. So so and so quoted it or so it's also written in this particular book. Um, And I think that's really helpful. But it is kind of sad that we don't have access to some of these writings, though, throughout history. But the fact and this is the point you made, but I just want to piggyback on it. Have so much evidence for the scriptural, you know, record is really, I think, can only be attributed to the divine.
1: Yeah, if, if we were, if we were actually historical uh, scholars in the respect of just literature, uh, and, and those who who have that as a vocation, just what you said, they say it, it's just unbelievable how much do Christians have because nobody else has that kind of stuff in terms of the literature. And I think it's just what you said, because our literature has a higher importance. It's not just that we might know some of the historical facts, what someone did or what someone might have said. But we're talking about uh, God's plan of bringing salvation to the world. So there may be a reason why more of these words are around than you'll find in the writings of Socrates or Aristotle or any of the other famous uh, uh, you know, philosophers from the world.
0: Well, now into the text itself, oh, how the mighty have fallen. That's the way that he describes, uh, I think, three times um, Jonathan and Saul, or or I should say Saul and Jonathan, really, in that order. Your glory, O Israel, is slain. The glory, of course, being Saul and Jonathan. Um, Tell us a little bit about just how over the top his, uh, I guess, his descriptor of especially Saul is, you know, glory and the mighty and... Um, let everyone, let everyone except our enemies, you know, um, understand that this is what happened and that they should be honored.
1: Well, and, and uh, again, you can see that, that David is concerned about the bigger things that are going on here. He's concerned about how will this impact the Gentiles around them, because you're right that. Uh, Saul and his sons—they—they they are the glory. These are the ones that God chose, and so now will the Gentiles say, "Aha! See, that's—that's that's your God. He's not very reliable. Yeah, he has his anointed and his anointed die like everybody else. Which, by the way, now you got me thinking—isn't that again what they said when Jesus died, right?" Mm-hmm. yeah yep. there you go there's your proof. If he was the Son of God, why hasn't he come down from the cross? The very fact that he 's dying shows that your God is is and and david 's concern that that's what people will draw from this, but of course that isn't that isn't the point. Uh, wow, I, I just had an insight I didn't even think about. <laughs> mm-hmm, but it's <laughs> that's great. The same one. thing with Jesus. Yeah, Ding. yeah. But no, no. The the plan of God is going on here. God's going to accomplish. In fact, there are no Philistines left. <laughs> okay, right. so if they were rejoicing over the fact they had defeated God, well, apparently that's not how it worked out in the long run. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 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 By by the way, too, before we we leave it, I I think it's cool that they're lamenting with lamentation over Saul and Jonathan. I I think everyone who's a Christian should rejoice in the fact that we should be sad. That's what we do when people die. We're sad. And and don't go tell me that they're in heaven. I know they're in heaven, but it doesn't make me any less sad that they're not here. See, Uh, so I think it's a great affirmation that grief is a very, very Christian thing to do, although, again, uh, with the fact that we know that this particular glory of the Lord has come to an end, but it's just because he's got greater glories. If the limited glory we have here comes to an end, it is only because God has prepared for us greater glories than you and I can even imagine with whatever we have here in this time and place.
0: I think it speaks to David's uh, character too that he's composing a lamentation for Saul, not some sort of rejoicing. But he connects Saul in a very uh, intimate way to Jonathan, right? So, you know, they're they're both connected. He says that um, they well, actually, twenty three is what I'm looking at. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely in life and in death, they were not divided. So, I think he's testifying to Jonathan's close relationship with his father, Saul, which is such a has been throughout 1 Samuel a very precarious situation where Jonathan, who, who shares a very special bond with David, is constantly being torn between the two loyalty to his father, and of course, his concern for the Lord's anointed David.
1: And 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 it is interesting, like you said, that that he would have plenty of opportunity to downplay Saul, and 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 focus on Jonathan, which in a way he does, because the second part of the poem is all about Jonathan. But but you've made a really good point there, Pastor Boo. He also is exalting over Saul. Saul is the one who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, mm-hmm. who put ornaments of gold on your power. Saul is the one whose sword did not return empty. Uh, uh, you know, Saul is is a, the, the mighty one. Uh, so uh, he doesn't focus on the the, the sin and the the, the evil that's all committed, but he does focus on the fact that the Lord used him. But, yeah. you know, the mighty have fallen. And I've, I'm thinking, isn't that kind of what Mary said in her Magnificat, too? That, that it, it, once you think that you're great and powerful, man, that's the most dangerous place you can be. Because when you think that you have arrived, that's when you are probably going to fall. Uh, and I think there's that lesson in this too for all of us. We need to remember who we are, that we are sinners. We are still the the children of God, though. Don't ever forget that. Uh, uh, but in that that humility, that's where God will lift us up. But when we consider ourselves mighty, well, the, the pattern throughout, even for David, isn't it? It's going to be the same thing with David. When David's the humble little shepherd, he accomplishes so many great things, but when he begins to think of himself as the mighty, powerful king, that's when he will also fall into some some horrible, terrible sins that you just wouldn't think a man of God could fall into. Uh, but, but he will. He will.
0: I, I think it's also significant that, you know, not only is he pointing and giving credit to Saul, as you would, because he was the king for this economic, uh, I guess, the, you know, the idea of being clothed in scarlet and and, and the fact and all that kind of stuff, you know, he, the, he's, he's, he's giving credit where credit's due, honor where honor is yes. due. Um, and this second part, though, as he turns and shifts towards Jonathan, though, um, I, I also see that special relationship that we've seen before, and I think it's worth talking about. Um, David's elegy, the, the bow, I've read, was sort of a, a military ode used during military training. And we see that a little bit even when he first mentions Jonathan about Jonathan's bow not turning back, even the Saul's sword not returning empty. Um, so these types of lamentations were used to pass down the faith. So you're not going to record all of these negative things because while they are historic, historic it doesn't do anything good. To build up the nation. And David genuinely had a concern for God's people. So I don't think he's spinning it. I just think he's being honorable, if that makes sense. And I think we could learn something from that in the way that we deal with our own situations.
1: And 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 you know, see, I, I that strikes me too because, so this, the, the poem is really divided up into three parts, marked by the phrase the mighty have fallen, and, and and in the first part, I think you're right, I think he really is addressing the nation, uh, it says that, it's written in the book of Jashar, uh, so this is something that we need, and he says that, you, you should be taught to the people of Judah, uh, because again, we have our individual defeats, but the Lord is using us, and he's going to accomplish his purpose with us, and we're going to die, we're going to be defeated, but, but trust me, no, the Lord's plan and program is still going to be successful so don't think that any individual defeat means that god has been defeated it's probably simply the consequence of our own foolishness and sin but what strikes me now that you were mentioning that now when we get into the next section it's totally different isn't it with jonathan you can just mm-hmm. see his emotions and, and and his feelings for jonathan and and i think that's yeah that's kind of is for us there's some people that we will honor and we will respect uh, when when they pass away and we will eulogize them because we speak to how God has used them, despite whatever their failings may be. And yet there's also going to be people that we will lament in a different way because they're people who are deeply connected to us. And and so there's really deep sorrow uh when we when we think and speak about them.
0: Well you and know verse twenty six yeah, verse 26, yep. I think, stands out particularly because he says, I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Now, it can go unsaid how people misuse this text. But yeah. here's yeah. what I think is this is I guess this is what stands out to me. David, God is God has designed marriage to be this intimate relationship between a man and a woman, but David's relationship with women wasn't super healthy
1: (laughs) you know (laughs) he had more than
0: he had more than one one wife he had concubines and so here in this in this friend he i think he felt what is also supposed to be felt in marriage but but not in a a sexual uh, certainly not a homosexual way but in the sense that Here's one guy who he has this sort of relationship with. They're buddies, but it's 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 a friendship that's deeper and and they have this great admiration and love for one another and they can rely on each other. And I think David should have, according to God's will, had that kind of relationship with his wife. But because of his times, because he was a king and because he's a sinner, he surrounds himself with the the way kings would have treated women during that day. And I, I think that I think that that's why we have this. Phrase surpassing the love of women because, not because that's a relationship that would surpass the love of all women, but in David's personal experience, he he didn't have a, a healthy relationship with women.
1: And, and you know what? See, that's such a neat insight too. So even as we're having this this lament and this praise, we're also beginning to see, yeah, David's a sinner too, isn't he? You know, oh, yeah. uh, uh and so underlying this the mighty have fallen is also kind of a warning to you, David. Uh you're doing great things here. You've been very respectful and honoring the Lord's anointed. The Lord has taken things in his hands, the Lord has given you the insignia of consecration. You didn't take that by your own. You may have thought you needed to do that, but no. No, you've you've been right and proper in that. But David, you're you're gonna fall into the same things as you become king too. Same kind of errors, maybe not the same era exactly, but the same sinfulness that, that Saul fell into. So I never saw saw that, but you're right. See, that's being hinted at there. Uh, although, again, as you also said, it just shows what a great relationship he had with Jonathan, but at the same time, kind of a sad thing that he never had that relationship with any of his wives, uh, and he should have. Right. He should have had that too. So,
0: In this very last verse, and also the third section as it begins, How the Mighty Have Fallen, um, I'm taking that this is forward-looking, Pastor, right? Because he says, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Well, for a king who's going to have more than his fair share of wars in the near future after this, um, certainly the weapons of war have not perished. But he's looking forward to when that is the case.
1: And, and, And again, maybe there's a little prophecy in there, too. Because, you know, the one thing David wants to do is he wants to build a temple for the Lord, but, but he won't be able to do that. And one of the reasons he won't be able to do that is because he he is a man of war because of the blood that he's shed. Um, but again, it, it just goes back to the fact that everything we have comes from the grace and forgiveness of God. Even, even King David can't say, well, you know, I deserve to have a place of honor for all the wonderful, great things I did for the Lord. Well, you did. You did. God used you, David, uh, in a very, very powerful way. And you will always be a man honored in the Holy Scripture and by all those who follow Jesus Christ, who is the son of David. But David, you again were just another man like all of us. You failed. You were a sinner. And you also, David, then have been redeemed by the one that God anointed, uh, Jesus Christ. And that's how it is. So the mighty will be fallen, but those who have fallen will be lifted up by the mightier one, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, who is Jesus Christ. And that's, of course, what Christianity is all about. And David knew that, don't you think? That David didn't know the details that we do, but David knew that there would have to be someone who would come, who would even be able to forgive David's sins so that he might not be abandoned in Sheol now.
0: Well, we're at the end of our program, so I'd just like to thank my guest this morning. It's the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO Radio. Remind the people when they can hear you.
1: Uh, we are on Saturday mornings at 9.05, but yeah, as you pointed out with this show too, podcasting is where it's at and you can listen to us anytime, anywhere you want. Uh, just go to find your uh KL Fuel app or, or go to your podcast app and search for Wrestling with the Basics.
0: Absolutely, it's like DVR for the radio. It's amazing. So, it is. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Pastor, for being on the show tomorrow, folks. When we come back, the war for the throne of Israel begins in earnest. David is anointed the king of Judah in Hebron, while Saul's son Ishbosheth rules over all the rest of the tribes so a bloody battle ensues between their armies led by joab on one side and abner who will prevail in this struggle for power and god's favor well i wonder but still tune in anyway until then may god's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray father keep us in thy strong word.